Hey, it's all true listeners. This is a special bonus interview episode of the podcast with author and artist Stanley Donwood. Donwood is known for his wide-ranging style of writing and also for creating art, some of which you might recognize from Radiohead album covers. Our conversation focused mostly on his book, Catacombs of Terror, which you can now find a hardcover edition of through Tyrus Books. Catacombs of Terror is a noir crime thriller set in Bath, England, in which a private investigator receives a tip that he will soon be framed for future murder, that of his former lover, one that is set to take place in the catacombs buried beneath the city. Donwood seems like the type of person who works nonstop. As a matter of fact, while I was talking to him, he was removing a piece of art. I'm in my studio and I'm trying to rescue a sort of disaster. Yeah, I, I did. A, I had an experiment a little little while ago. With I collected a lot of mud and I mixed it up with with glue and I tried to paint with it and it was it, well, it didn't work out how I wanted it. <laughs> so at the moment, I'm scraping mud off canvases. Wow. Trying to get them back to how they were before I fucked them <laughs> up. Really. So I'm here anyway. So it's no problem. Is that a unconventional way of creating art? Mixing glue with mud? Uh, yeah, I was I was just trying to, because basically paint is coloured mud, so I was trying to get different mud from different parts of the country, and anyway, it didn't work, it was awful, so, I mean, I left it there, I left it <laughs> hanging on the wall for a couple of weeks to see if I changed my mind about it, but I... I just hated it more every time. Oh, yeah, it sounds like you definitely ended up changing your mind. So I really love the book. Um, You've caught me at a bit of a crossroads in my own life. I just moved from Chicago to New York. And so Ah. when this interview was being set up and I got the, the book and everything, it was... It's kind of been along with my journey of getting settled in this new city. And I really love it. I think it's very, uh, I I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if it was going to be sort of a serious, gritty book or if it was going to be leaning more towards the humorous. And I like that it leans towards towards the humorous. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, the way it was done was was not very serious. Yeah, there's an interesting backstory, right? It was a a dare. Yeah, this kind of started a long time ago and I, I... published a book with this this guy i met him at the pub and he said he was making books out of hemp paper and he was very uh like a kind of do you know the jack harris the emperor wears no clothes <laughs> it's a book about hemp cannabis and stuff and how they all paper like say the bible was print, printed on hemp paper and the declaration of independence was on hemp paper <laughs> All the sails for, for navies were made of hemp and the ropes and string and everything. So he was like, you know, we've, we've made it illegal because people smoke it since, you know, the, I think the, ninth, the early part of the 20th century. So anyway, he was on a, on a mission to, to get hemp paper, which is more durable and doesn't go yellow or anything, back into production. So he was making books out of hemp paper. And he he published a book of mine called Slowly Downward, which was little miserable short stories. And then one day he said, like, why don't you write a novel? Why don't you write a novel? I bet you can't write a novel. I bet you can't write a novel in a month. (laughs) I bet you five pounds. Do you think that's how most of his deals? I don't know. I said to him, don't don't you normally kind of give an advance to writers or something like that? (laughs) He was like, I'm not like other publishers. So, um... So yeah, it was it was a bet to write a novel. Um, it was I think fifty hundred and fifty thousand words in a month. 
and and I, you know, I didn't have much else to do. Um, so, and this was quite a long time ago, two thousand and two or three. Um, so I, 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 I did it. I wrote it very, 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 very quickly. Yeah, the first thing that struck me was sort of the the pacing of it, the rhythm. I'm I'm starting to think more about rhythm in terms of writing. Yeah. The first few chapters are only a couple pages, and the style reminded me a little bit of. Um, S.J. Perlman. Do you know who S.J. Perlman no, is? No, I don't. No. He's a, he was an American writer. He wrote a lot of the New Yorker pieces in the humor section. Uh-huh. Sort of the style of, I don't know if you ever read some of Woody Allen's uh, short stories yes, and things I like have. that. Yes, I have. I've read some of those a long time ago. Yeah. It reminded me of that vein, which is like the turn of a, of a phrase or just like one sentence to the other. There's always this this other you know this other side of the box. Yeah. Well, I was trying. I was you know I was writing everywhere. I was writing on on trains and and at home and in the <laughs> office and everywhere. So it, it was almost a kind of consuming process because it was you know it was like a bet there. Um, so it's kind of like okay, I'm going to do it. It doesn't have to be good. He didn't say anything about it being a masterpiece. So <laughs> and and you know I read all this stuff about. Um, about pulp writers because I thought, you know, this is the sort of writing that was done quickly. It was the sort of writing where you get paid per word. And so yeah. it was like when I used to work on farms and you get paid, you know, per however many apples you pick or however many strawberries you pick. And you get yeah. paid for, for what you produce rather than whether you've picked it really well. So I, I treated writing a book like working on a farm, really. So it was. Uh, let's go. Let's let's go towards that. You, you you're saying all these things so casually that are really making me interested in your upbringing. What? How how did you go from working on farms to being an artist who uh, combines mud with glue? <laughs> oh God, I don't know. I don't think it's a career path I'd recommend. <laughs> it's, um, no, I, I. Well, when I was younger, I didn't have any money, so I, I did all kinds of things to to earn money. So, um, yeah, obviously working on farms was... I, I grew up on the edge of a town, so I, farm work was the easiest, nearest, quickest thing to, to earn money. And you can, you, with farm work in the UK, I don't know if this is still true, but you used to be able to claim your wages at any point during the day. So if you got fed oh, wow. up, you could say, this, I've had enough. And you go to this little <laughs> shed... And I give you some money in a brown envelope, and that's it. That's amazing. So you just get how much you made that far. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, and when you're writing a book like of this type, it was it was how many words I'd written that counted, rather than anything else. So I'd kind of check the word count rather than reread over anything I'd written. I mean, this isn't. It's not how I normally write stuff. Kind of, if I'm writing in a kind of inverted commas serious, serious. Um, style way with a serious intent then quite often i end up i, I sit there and i work in the, and i end up with less than i began with or, or you know you start off with a chapter and you end up with nothing so I'm, it's, the, it's like that sort of tortured writing like it's sort of all right when the results are good but it's it's very hard where i was writing uh, a book essentially for for money is is not hard because it doesn't matter. You don't. You don't. You know. You haven't got any kind of artistic integrity invested in it. Quite the opposite. <laughs> so this was easier to write than that. Uh, I think you described it as a dreary set of uh, yeah, short stories. Yeah, I've, I've, I've just had a, a book published by Faber last year or the year before, possibly. 
uh-huh. called Humor, which was a collection of all the short short stories that I'd written over the last I don't know nearly twenty years. So and they were they were the sort of work that is very hard to to get out because you start off with you I was I I tried to edit down as much as possible so you can end up with some with a story that is almost like a sentence but this with catacombs of terror it was the complete opposite you know if well, why use one word when when 50 will do so i was just <laughs> i was kind of fluffing it out as much as possible like lots of padding purple prose and catacombs of terror definitely is a very pulp title yeah. almost you know that's what uh, George Lucas was going for when he created Star Wars yeah, and uh, yeah. uh, and Indiana Jones yes, and all the that. Great kind of it's, they're, they're like those uh, those sort of two reeler movies that they used to have in the nineteen forties or something when everybody had to go to the cinema because there wasn't any tellies. Talk to me about humor in the UK. Is there any distinction between how you go about your humor, what you find people laugh at with the things that you do? Uh, I don't know. I, it's hard to say that. I mean the. When I first this the, the same publisher Ambrose, Ambrose Blimfield, when I showed him the stories that I'd written for a second book, which was called Household Worms, uh, I I'd written them, written them when I was feeling really pretty dreadful about a lot of things, and I kind of tried to put this in the writing, and he found it hilarious. He was laughing out loud at this stuff that I was kind of, what are you laughing at? And he goes, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's really funny. I was like, what the fuck is funny about that? Anyway, so it's different things. I don't know. It's it's quite difficult to write deliberately, humorously, unless you've got, I think, a, a, a kind of target audience in mind. Because, like as you say, people find things, different people find different things differently amusing. Yeah, it's always strange when you find out that you know, your pain can be something that makes someone laugh. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the a common thing in in English humour, if you can generalise, is is people who have ideas slightly above their station, people who take themselves more seriously than maybe they should, and as a result of their kind of their pomposity, they're continually derailed by events. Yeah. So it's. You know, it's like the the guy, the the protagonist in Catacombs of Terror, Martin <laughs> Valpolicella. He's he thinks he's this kind of wisecracking private eye. He thinks he's Bogart, but in fact he's not. <laughs> in fact, he's really useless, and he ends up. You know, he thinks he's got everything sorted out, but he's got totally the wrong end of the stick. In writing him, do you identify with him as a character, or was he sort of yeah, an abstraction? Every, everyone, to you? everyone. I think you know, unless people are super confident about themselves, then I don't know. There's not that many people who are like that. <laughs> everyone, to an extent, has a kind of feeling that somehow they're the odd one out of the party, and they're the one not understanding the joke. Just you know yeah, that, yeah. that feeling when when you're in a group of people and you're you're kind of you're smiling and laughing along, but you really don't get what how everyone's finding so funny. <laughs> I feel like the detective genre is something that will never disappear, but uh, the connection between that genre and comedy is also so unique that'll also n- never disappear. What do you find funny about the uh, the situation that a detective is in? Good question. Ah, I guess I guess it's because I I mean I don't know just off the top of my head it's because he is, in a sense he is like a peeping tom a, a voyeur, 
and, and he's <laughs> you know the whole detective novel is so laden with cliches it's like you i don't i don't know how you could write a detective story without some of it interfering you're gonna some sometimes your hero is gonna have to put on a trench coat it's gonna have to stand <laughs> in the rain underneath a street light all this sort of stuff it's it's kind of in our minds it's like it's like i once i once tried there's there's so many cliches that you could write a list of them so i once tried to <laughs> to earn money by writing uh romantic novels <laughs> yeah no well i so i wrote off to the publisher of, of romance novels and, and i said you know i want to write a, one of your books and they sent me back this this list of of how you had to write it and so the i think the, the heroine it always it, it was a very heterosexual publisher so the heroine she had to be shorter mm. than the hero uh, the hero hero had to be quite muscly and, and <laughs> preferably dark hair. Um, so the tall, dark stranger, <laughs> and there was there was a it was a it was an A4 piece of paper with with this list of of uh, requirements, and I, I couldn't do it. It was too it was there were too many restrictions. I did try to start it, but they ended up they ended up having sex much much too early, and, and I, <laughs> I, I, I I sent in. Um, I've sent in so many things to so many places, but they—they it was. I think the word unsuitable was was basically the rejection for that. <coughs> but I find I find something sort of uh, romantic in a different sense about this this journey in your life. I mean, that feels like a dream to go from someone who uh, is working on farms for a living to getting to the point where they're working for a living trying to pitch well, that romance was, it was now. about the same time actually yeah that's why the the unsuccessful part of the you know I, I i was trying to to do to get books published for or get writing published anything really for for a long time because i mean it's uh the farm work is nice on a on a sunny day but it could be really <laughs> miserable it could be really, really bad. so do you do you still feel that sense of achievement i mean that's a that's a big uh, goal yeah uh in a way because i've i've ended up doing writing um of sort of very lots of different styles over, over the years and I'm, I'm trying to uh i'm trying to write a, a novel at the moment um just hopefully by the end of the by the end of 2017, I'll have finished it. I've been thinking about it for two years, or, or at least one and a half years. Can you connect the dots for me between the type of art that you do and the way you go about your writing? Because uh, it sounds like you're the type of person who has tons of ideas, probably uh, a few drawers of, uh, of manuscripts for unfinished works. Yeah, um, I, I have. I find it very difficult to do artwork and writing at the same time. Which is, I, I've been doing a lot of visual art over the last few years, particularly the last two, and um, I've not had any time to write. It's like you need a slightly different part of your brain to write, as as what you what you do for for making pictures. Because I, you know, I've got this kind of theory of 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 art that to do with how to understand how it developed historically, and, and I think the first form of art must have been music you know people people making a rhythm by just you know banging stuff yeah and so I, and then i think visual art comes after that because 
music can be understood by everybody and visual art can be understood by everybody but writing as opposed to storytelling as opposed to you know around the fire telling stories um written written literature is very recent compared to everything else it's very specific because you know it's it's a particular it's written in particular language and mm. even if it's written in english something that was written uh in the 1800s it's much harder for us to read now than than it would have been then so it's it's very specific to time going back to catacombs of terror the idea of the the detective film noir almost genre what are some of your favorite detective movies or pieces of fiction I, I I really really like uh, Raymond Chandler's writing. I I think that's it's hard to beat uh, Philip Marlowe as a as a detective, as a private eye in that that style of writing. I think he's that's so far above anything else. And he he wrote that. Well, I think there was some stuff published posthumously. There was a book called Poodle Springs, I think. <laughs> Uh-huh. Which is based on a Palm Springs. So, so oh, wow. Marlowe, he's he's with this woman, and she's like, "Oh, I don't want to live in LA no more. And I, you know, <laughs> we've got to move out." And so they go out to part, you know, Poodle Springs, which is a very thinly disguised version of Palm Springs, and it's fuck, it's hilarious, it's brilliant. <laughs> and so, you know, of course, Marlowe uncovers some kind of shady goings on, da 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 da. But it's it's great, and I think that that was a, I think that was written. I think he left the unfinished manuscript and somebody else finished it. But it's it's great. And then there's a, another writer, Benjamin Black. He's written, he's the the estate of Philip Marlowe. Said yes, you can you can write another Philip Marlowe book, <laughs> and it, it's really good. It's really good. So yeah, I mean that's it's like Sherlock Holmes. These sort of characters, they they're kind of they can continue because they exist outside of the the writer's imagination they've they've taken on their own their own sort of presence well let's how about this let's just end with uh what's a headline that you would love to see on the on the papers tomorrow morning that would just make your day ah ah trump chokes on pretzel recovery unlikely who was the last guy who choked on a pretzel was it w that was that was w that was w bush classic the donald can can try some pretzels i'm sure (laughs) on a on a golden pretzel perhaps yeah yeah great big golden pretzel (laughs) scary times yeah no that would be a great headline yeah outlook is 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 bleak for for trump poor fella (laughs) pretzels just wedged there and we can't get it it's too too wedged yeah. <laughs> yeah, Trump is scary enough for us in America. I can't imagine how uh, people across the across the pond feel. I think I think the whole world is trembling. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this interview. For more, it's all true. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever else you find podcasts. My Twitter handle is Tim Barnes four five one, and you can follow the show at All True Podcast. This is Tim Barnes signing off saying, I believe in you.